0: edition of two guys in a chainsaw. I'm Craig and I'm Todd. And for our last film of this year's Halloween series season, we decided to go with the anthology film Tales of Halloween. Now, Todd and I, I believe, are both pretty big fans of these types of anthology horror movies. Um, last season, last year, we did Trick or Treat, which both of us loved and raved about. Uh, so this week, I thought we would try... The most recent uh, uh, anthology Halloween film that I'm aware of called Tales of Halloween from 2015. Um, I heard about this when it came out. It had some pretty cool poster art that I saw on the internet, but I didn't know a whole lot about it going in and I hadn't seen it. Today was the first time I had seen it. Um, Had you heard anything about it, Todd? No, I didn't know a thing about it, although uh, after I started
1: looking it up, I did notice the poster art, and there was something about the poster art that, I don't know if it came up in my feed at some point, or maybe that's a famous painting and I don't even know it. But yeah, I recognized the poster, but I did not recognize the movie. So I'm glad you suggested it, because you're right, I am a big fan of these anthology kind of films, and I think they're perfect for the season, because you get like, uh, well in this case, you get like ten movies for the price of one
0: yeah I, I I totally agree, and you know we went on and on about how much we liked trick or treat and uh, that 's one that anymore i if i don 't watch that during the halloween season i uh, I feel like the season is incomplete um, and uh, the creator director of that movie has been promising a sequel for a long time, but uh, it doesn 't seem like much is happening with that. Um, Tales of Halloween in my humble opinion could almost serve as a spiritual sequel to that movie. Um, They have a lot of things in common. Uh, One of the things that they have in common is just that we get uh, a collection of stories. Um, In Trick or Treat, we only got four here. Like you said, we get 10. But both of them are set on one Halloween night in this one small town, and you get some overlap uh, with the different stories. You see characters from different stories popping up um, in the different uh, vignettes. Um, In this one in particular, you see a lot of the kids who are out trick-or-treating pop up in, in a bunch of the different stories. Um, And that's always kind of neat to see how they interconnect. Each one of these stories was tackled by a different director, either, a fairly new but established, uh, director or an up and coming director. Um, and, uh, I thought one of the things that I thought was the strength of the movie was that it seemed pretty seamless. Yeah, they all had, um, different styles and, and you could definitely identify some different characteristics of the different directors. Um, but it still felt like a cohesive movie as well. And I thought that uh, was a positive thing about it. Um, the movie opens up, with kind of the connective tissue that's going to that hold it all together, um, there is. it opens with this cool opening sequence that looks kind of like a spooky, spooky pop-up book um, in these different locations that we're going to be seeing throughout the course of the movie. Of course, it's animated, um, and then we've got uh, Adrienne Barbeau, uh, the actress, playing Um, A radio DJ uh, Hosting uh, her show On Halloween night Um, Adrienne Barbeau is kind of paying tribute to herself here She played a very similar role um, In John Carpenter's The Fog Um, And she, her narration um, It's not really narration She just has kind of some radio commentary That comes between some of the stories Um, But it was kind of a neat thing uh, To see her not necessarily reprising that role But certainly paying homage Attention all you trick-or-treaters It's
1: time to get your ghoul on, for tonight is All Hallows' Eve, my favorite time of the
0: year. Our little town really
1: comes alive on October 31st, when witches and devils, imps and monsters roam our towns.
0: Um, And then we get right into the first story, which... I'm glad they put this one first because I thought that it really set the pace and the mood for uh, the film. This first story was called Sweet Tooth, directed by Dave Parker. And what we have here basically is uh, a young boy, Mikey, is home uh, after having finished his trick-or-treating. And he's gorging himself uh, on his candy. Meanwhile, his babysitter and her boyfriend... Um, are sitting on the couch uh, kind of flirting back and forth with one another and, and teasing him and the boyfriend warns Mikey that he needs to be careful not to eat all his candy because he needs to save some for sweet tooth and the boyfriend goes into this story, which is very similar to any other kind of urban legend that you're going to hear around, uh, centered around the holiday. Basically, the story goes there was a little boy named Timothy Blake who loved Halloween, but his parents were really strict. They would allow him to go out and collect all the candy trick-or-treating, but when he got home, they confiscated it and wouldn't let him eat it, uh, claiming that it would uh, make him fat and lazy, and um, they, they didn't want that out of their son. So, Mikey asks, okay, well, what did uh, the parents do with the Halloween candy? And then we cut back to the story, and we see little Timmy um, coming down the stairs, and his parents are sitting on the couch eating all of his uh, candy, and not only eating it, but kind of playing this seductive game with one another where they're – eating the candy out of one another's mouths it's all very sensuous and something that a little kid definitely wouldn't want to see um, Well the story goes <laughs> the story goes um, that this uh, event kind of uh, broke little Timmy I guess and he went and got a meat cleaver and uh, hacked his parents up uh, and ate all of the candy that they hadn't eaten. But when um, he was done with that, uh, he still wasn't satisfied. Little Mikey listening to the story says, well, but all the candy was gone. And the boyfriend telling the story says, no, it wasn't. Timmy ate all the candy he could find inside his parents. But what he wanted more. Now, every Halloween, every single Halloween sense, his evil spirit comes back trick or treating. If you don't share your candy with, he will come and take it. All of it. Even the candy you've already eaten. Of course, this freaks little Mikey out, and he runs up to his room, um, and out of fear... puts a candy bar down in front of his door. Um, and the candy bar is a carpenter bar, obvious not to John Carpenter here. Uh, <laughs> and then we cut back down to the babysitter and uh, the boyfriend. And the babysitter kind of gives the boyfriend a little bit of gruff, saying, you know, maybe you went a little too far. You scared him. Um, and the boyfriend says, ah, no, nah, it's a rite of passage. We all heard that story when we were kids. And they tease one another and they start eating um, little Mikey's Halloween candy. Mikey hears something outside of his room, and when he looks out the window, he hears a ghostly trick-or-treat, um, and so he knows something's going on. Meanwhile, downstairs, the boyfriend and the uh, babysitter are lamenting the fact that they have eaten all of the the candy and now they're feeling sick. The girlfriend goes to get them something to drink. And that is when sweet tooth arrives. And we've got that. We don't get a much look at him, but what we get is pretty nightmarish. Um, and he takes his hand, reaches down into the boyfriend's gullet and starts ripping out his, uh, insides. When the babysitter comes back in, she finds the boyfriend dead. She screams and starts to run towards uh, Mikey's room. Um, but we see Sweet Tooth follow her as well. Um, and then we assume that she has got, met her demise. Mikey is hiding under his bed. He hears something outside of his door. The door slowly opens and in comes this monstrous hand. But it just grabs the candy bar. Um, apparently, that was enough of a sacrifice and so uh, sweet tooth presumably leaves him alone a few minutes later the boy's parents come home but they walk into the living room to find little mikey standing in front of the boyfriend or the boyfriend and the babysitter eviscerated and all he says is they ate all of my candy uh, and so it's a nice little cap there where it seems like Everybody's going to assume that this kid was the one who actually did all of this, Um, and the whole thing uh, plays out really dark and and pretty frightening. Good effects, uh, and I thought it was just an excellent way to start this out. What did you think of this one? Yeah,
1: I think anytime you know with an anthology series like this, you want to start and end with some of your strongest stories, and. This probably is one of the stronger stories, in my opinion. I, I have to be honest; I don't think that any of the stories are really, really wonderful. Uh, but as you said earlier, as far as consistency goes, they're all pretty good. And so, Av, this is maybe the goodest, <laughs> one of the goodest <laughs> of the group, I would say. And and it's you know it's 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 like most of the stories where they're more based on urban legends. Um, This is obviously not, I think this is a pretty original kind of legend, but it is, uh, it does fall into that category of urban legend, and that's how I felt the whole film went, was it took these really, really short, very small stories, but uh, the stories definitely have that urban legend kind of feel to them, so... Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty solid. And you're right, the gore effects were good. Um, it was pretty spooky, and it definitely set the tone for the rest of the movie.
0: Yeah, I thought it was pretty scary, too. You know, what you just said, the fact that some of these seem like semi-typical urban legends, that's a lot of the criticism that I read online. Um, this, The whole movie has, a, I think, like a 74, 75%, uh, or no, 79% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which I agree with. I think it's pretty solid. But if you go through and read message boards, People are pretty critical of it, and I didn't really understand why because I thought um, that it was fun. I, I agree with you that this one was one of my favorites, but the next one um, I thought was just so much fun. <laughs> I'll let you tell them about uh, number two.
1: Yeah, the next one was pretty interesting. I uh- it's you know actually uh, it's called the night billy raised hell and it's really about a young boy who's at trick-or-treating with what must be his sister and her boyfriend billy i am an idiot i totally forgot to ask did your mother dress up this year what is your mother in a slutty costume like your sister hey what you remember your mom you to school in that catwoman outfit one year we still talk about Just it and up uh They are encouraging him to egg this old man's house because he never gives out candy and he's really stingy. And they claim it's a Halloween tradition to egg this guy's house. He's really a a nice kid, so he's reluctant to do it. But uh, they convince him anyway. He goes up to the steps. You know, you're supposed to do this from far away. (laughs) Right? They should have at least least told him that. Uh, But he goes right up to the steps like he's just going to smash it against the window or something. And the door opens and this man uh, pops out and grabs the kid and takes him inside. And the man looks like... um, I don't know. He's kind of has a somewhat bony-looking face, and instantly, for me anyway, gave off this Jim Carrey-type vibe. You are going to learn what a real Halloween prank is. By the way, Billy, is your mother dressing up again this year? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, later, I was really surprised to hear that this role was played by Barry Bostwick, who is Brad yeah. from Rocky Horror. And, you know, everybody in this movie, I don't know if there's a single actor in this movie who has not been in some horror film somewhere along uh-huh. the line, if not really well known for it. That was another really interesting touch. I think um, if you wanted to play like Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon, like this is <laughs> the movie that you need that's going to connect all of these different... All of the horror films that you know, uh, and a bunch that you don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A- anyway, he pulls the kid in, and uh, and he's really playing with him. And again, like I said, he just has kind of a Jim Carrey-esque type vibe to it. And he says, you want to do a prank, I'll show you a prank. And so they go out, uh, him with this masked kid, and run around and do all kinds of mayhem. And it's it's not innocent Halloween mayhem it's the kind of Halloween mayhem that gets people injured or killed uh yeah so it's just this long running list of things and you're going oh my gosh this is so horrible and it's interesting how he has suddenly convinced this kid who couldn't even egg his house uh to go out and do these terrible things with him well, you can see little horns on his on this guy's head, and you see them pretty early on and so you figure this guy is a devil or he's kind of a devilish trickster figure and uh when he comes when they come back after this night of mayhem, which has made the news and everything uh they've even tagged a neighbor's garage with his name, <laughs> so there's no way this kid is getting out of this when he comes home you see that it hasn't been the kid this whole time. The kid's actually been tied up to a chair. And this was one of the devil's minions who takes off his devil mask that the kid was wearing. And, uh, Takes off the devil mask, and he looks like a devil himself underneath. And so, uh, yeah, it, it was it was one of those interesting twist endings. A lot of these do have that twist ending. It's very reminiscent of like, an EC horror comic. Um, Tales Definitely. from the Crypt or Vault of Horror or something, where the bad guy gets his due at the end. Um, yeah, I, I thought this took an interesting turn from the pure, almost real just pure horror that we had from the first one, and immediately 180 into still horrible, but pretty much comedy.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. I I loved this one. And I thought that there are several that employ comedy, and i don 't have any problem with that again that 's something that people are kind of critical of online, but I like comedy and you know Stephen King says that horror and comedy are conjoined twins you know they, they go right along with one another and i couldn 't agree more but the comedy here and the comedy elsewhere I think that it 's so effective be- it, it because it 's so dark like it 's really really dark comedy um, you 've got this little kid doing these outrageous things that um, like you said is completely completely out of character for him. And of course, as it turns out, it's not really him doing it. They're just setting him up to, to take the fall for it. But uh, I just thought that it worked so well. And, and Barry Bostwick just it, it seems to take so much joy in playing this impish, devilish role. Um, there's a hilarious cameo from Adrian Curry, uh, who is from America's Next Top Model originally, but it's a staple at Comic Con and is a, a huge uh, Halloween fan herself, and um, that I thought was was really funny. Um, overall, uh, I just that one was one of my favorites, and that seems to kind of be a consensus um, across the board, at least based on the fan uh, message boards that I was reading. I liked it a lot. The third one is titled Trick, uh, directed by Adam Grirosh, I think, maybe. And this one starts out simply enough with... uh, Two couples, middle aged couples, I would guess probably about our age, you know, mid late 30s probably, um, and they're just sitting around watching uh, Night of the Living Dead. Um, They've got their house all decked out with all the Halloween stuff. Um, They're drinking wine, one of them's smoking a bong. Um, It just looks, you know, and they're drinking and laughing and having a good time. And and, uh, some trick or treaters come, and first the wife, one of the wives, I I guess supposedly who lives in the house, um, goes to the door and hands out some candy um, and then the next time the doorbell rings she says okay honey it's your turn and the husband goes um, and there's this little girl standing there uh, dressed as a witch very innocent looking <laughs> <laughs> Trick treat,
1: Nelson you're drunk she's supposed to say that <laughs> <laughs>
0: And she whips out a big butcher knife from under her costume and says trick and stabs him multiple times um, in the abdomen. He closes the door and everybody kind of says what's wrong because they haven't seen what's happened. But he turns around and he's bleeding and he collapses. And of course, as you would, they all start to panic. Somebody says, I think the wife says, call 911. And the other woman um, says, are you crazy? I'll go around back and get the car. So she goes out to get the car, but she's besieged by another group of kids who hack her to pieces. Her husband sees this, but is then quickly attacked by another kid who has gotten in the house. And that's a pretty gruesome kill. All of these done with practical effects that I thought worked really well. And so we're left with this last woman who goes off running and she ends up in this garage. And we start to see some flashes of some really bizarre and violent imagery. And I think I'm not going to quite spoil this one all the way, except for to say that these couples were not as innocent as they initially appeared to be, and that there's probably reason and motivation for what these kids are doing. But it was so much fun, and it was so unexpected. I didn't see it coming at all. I kind of want to leave that one for you uh, listeners out there, uh, if you haven't seen the movie, for it to kind of be a surprise. This one was one of the shorter ones, but I thought, I I mean, I enjoyed it. I I think I'm going to end up saying that for most of them. I think there was only one or two that I thought were just all right um but I, I like this one what about you yeah it was uh it was weird
1: <laughs> i thought it was kind of weird um i'm not sure i completely got uh the motivation there uh that you're that, that we're not going to spoil for you uh,
0: because well you can if you want to i was just trying to say well, <laughs> no no i
1: think that's fine i think that's fine because it happens in flashes and things and i think what made it creepy for me was i was a little unsure and i think that's okay um, I'd rather be a little unsure. I-, I thought that of all the stories, this one was maybe the most obtuse. I- this one was maybe my least favorite, actually, just because it was rather simple and straightforward, except for that, that bit where I wasn't quite sure what they had done, but I could see that it was horrible. And so it left that sort of lingering feeling in my head that I, I thought kind of made up for the fact that otherwise it's just these kids killing these people so yeah yeah i I mean it wasn't my favorite of the group maybe i'd put it down at the very bottom but one thing that you mentioned earlier that i think really carries through this and all the rest of them is just the consistency i mean uh, to have all of these tales directed by different directors and written by different people even down to the cinematography the lighting mm-hmm. choices and everything, it is so consistent. The whole movie seems like it's directed by the same person, um, except for, obviously, the differences in tone between each of the stories, which you get anyway in an anthology series. At least you tend to. Um, it, right. It's so amazing how seamless uh, the, the movie feels.
0: Yeah, I think it feels uh, really seamless too, but I also liked, and I thought that this was a good example where there are little bits where you can see the director's individual style. And up until the twist at the end of this one, it really just kind of felt like the purge, but with kids, you you didn't know what was going on. The twist kind of put in a a unique spin on it, so it didn't just seem like a ripoff. But the way that the cinematography worked, you you kind of alluded to the fact that you're you're getting things in flashes and you're not getting the complete picture. I thought that, you know, that's something that's unique to this one. And you get little, I don't know, uh, glimpses into the style of these various directors while it's still consistent and still feels like a cohesive piece. I thought that was uh, something strong.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. The next story takes us uh, a little bit out of – it's one of the few, actually, that take us out of the suburban neighborhood and into what looks like more of an urban area, uh, even though it could just be the the downtown of of this, uh, I guess, this small town, uh, where uh, there's an alley, and there's – you hear the sounds of of – and at first you think, oh, my gosh, somebody's eating something or somebody, Uh, but it's just the sound of eating candy, (laughs) and somebody's just gorging on candy in an alley, and I guess it's just the way that they really tie this together with Halloween. And you know, it seems like too, every time anybody eats candy in this movie, they do make it sound like, like it's they're the sloppiest <laughs> eaters in the world. Like, you bite into a chocolate bar and it sounds like like they're chomping into an apple. It's funny. So anyway, uh, yeah, this guy's eating this candy, and uh, somebody comes up from behind them and starts harassing him. And it turns out to be this gang, this very small gang of this girl and and I think two guys mm-hmm. and they're punked out and she's got tattoos and all over and they're sort of your stereotypical bad, bad alley gang. Yeah. She's going to burn his feet with a cigar and they get interrupted uh, and from behind what looks like this towering demon with big horns comes up. But as he steps into the light, it's, it's clearly just a guy dressed up who apparently wants to just be a superhero. <laughs> and, uh, and he hands her this, this piece of paper. And there's a photo, kind of a blurry photo on the piece of paper, this demon that he's supposed to be dressed up as. Uh, and the, the whole story is called The Weak and the Wicked. So uh, that is what's, what's going on here. You've got the wicked people and the weak uh, victims.
0: Spills the blood of the wicked, where the wicked have harmed the weak.
1: I think you turned yourself into a monster with that soup boy. And so they take off after him, and he runs. So he gets, uh, is on foot, and these three are not <laughs> like, I thought they were going to jump on a motorcycles or something, but they end up on bikes. <laughs> so they're like a bicycle gang. And, uh, <laughs> and but, but, you know, it's still, the uh, chase sequence is pretty intense, and it takes them through a park, and it takes them all over the place. Really quick cut, real, really nice little cinematography on this chase sequence. A really good example of how you can do a chase sequence on bicycles uh, with a guy mm-hmm. running and still make it exciting and uh, do it on a lower budget. Uh, it, was, it was pretty good. Anyway, they end up, uh, he ends up leading them to this alley where he faces a burned-out looking trailer and it's Mm -hmm. a small trailer i guess it's supposed to be kind of a trailer home but it would be something that you would definitely tow behind your car Mm -hmm. and and not the kind of trailer home people would normally go in and there's a very quick uh, and very substantive flashback sequence where you immediately understand that this was the kid's parents who got burned up in this trailer home and you can uh, see in the flashback that there are these three people who, even as children, <laughs> were part of this, We're, were, were in a gag and were terrorizing people in absolutely horrible ways, enough that they gleefully torched uh, this kid's home and burned up his parents in them. So when they come and confront him there, uh, she says, Oh, look. You're little Jimmy Henson. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, Jim Henson. And, uh, and so, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, not, not, not one I was expecting to have name dropped in this movie, but okay. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, so they are going to, uh, basically do what to him what they did to his parents years ago and kick him, punch him quite a bit. He falls down, and then she douses him with alcohol. And before, as she's about to light him on fire, there's a noise from behind them. And behind them is very much the same shadowy figure that he was dressed up as, but it turns out it is actually the demon. And he opens his big mouth like he's going to kill them, and that's the end of the story. So uh, as we see the back of this sheet of paper... It looks, I don't know, it looks like something out of a comic book or something that's advertising uh, maybe a way to summon a demon of the night, or maybe it's a picture out of a spell book or something. It's a little unclear, but of course the idea is that this kid summoned this demon to take revenge, and his whole plot all along was to lead them back to the scene of the crime um, to give them their comeuppance. Again, very standard Tales from the Crypt-esque creep
0: show uh, type of uh, feel to it. It definitely was, but I feel like, and, and this is common of those types of stories, is that they usually have some sort of twist at the end. Um, you could tell all throughout this that this kid was being very intentional in what he was doing. He had a watch that he kept looking at, like he was trying to lead them to this particular place at the particular time. And then when um, when they got there and the flashback happened, he took the mask off and you see that he had something carved into his face. And I think there's a little, uh, voiceover, or maybe you just see this written on the piece of paper, but it says something like when the word is carved in flesh, the invitation is sent. Um, so at that point, you know, you kind of figure out that this kid has summoned this vengeance demon. Um, and when it appears again, they, they don't, they don't pull any punches on the effects. I mean, it it definitely looks like something that was kind of pieced together. And I mean, it's clearly a costume, um, but it really seems like they took care with care with it. Uh, And I appreciated that. And, you know, Everybody loves a good revenge story um, where the bad guys get what's coming to them. Um, This one, it wasn't one of my favorites. um, uh, But the next one, uh, number five, was called Grim Grinning Ghost. And it was uh, uh, directed by Axel Carolyn. um, And the first thing, they had me on board with this one right away because (laughs) it opens with Lynn Shea. Who I just absolutely adore. I just oh, think yeah. that she she's is your she's fantastic. <laughs> uh, she's she's just so great. I mean, in everything she does, and it's not even like she has some sort of amazing range. You know, like she no. always kind of plays the same sort of characters, and I don't care. I just love her. You
1: know, I'm actually um, kind of surprised that you love yeah, her so much because I don't really find her a very good actress or or, or even very compelling. I mean, I, I I think almost in every performance, she just again she seems to be the same character and. I don't know, there's just something about her style that, to me, screams,
0: I'm acting. I don't know. That, that. I, I understand what, no, I understand what you're saying exactly. There's just something about her presence. I think it's because she's got kind of an typical look. She's small. She's not, you know, stereotypically movie star looking. She looks like a real woman. She's got an interesting voice. And you're oh, right. Definitely. You're right. She does always kind of play the same role, but I don't care. Anytime she <laughs> pops up, it's just, I get a huge smile on my face. She's apparently hosting this uh, Halloween party for adults. And it seems pretty low key, but they're all sitting around and costumes and they're telling ghost stories and lynn shay tells this story about um mary bailey who was laughed at her whole life because she had a disfigured face she comes back every halloween to taunt the living and to laugh at them behind their backs so just a word of warning tonight if you find yourself alone on the way back and you hear an evil cackle and footsteps behind you i wouldn't turn around because if she finds you looking when you least expect it she's gonna take your eyes (laughs) then the party breaks up and everybody's going home and uh uh, lynn shay sends her daughter off you know it seems like they have a warm relationship and, um, the daughter's driving home and there's a song playing on the radio that says, you know, something like just turn around now. I'm always behind you. You know, it's very <laughs> suggestive. It, it, it almost feels I kind of thought that we were going to get into that territory of somebody in the back seat. That's what I was expecting. Um, but instead of that, somebody runs out in front of her car and she slams on the brakes, which causes some sort of mechanical malfunction. I don't know why, but the car breaks down. So she has to, and, and as she's looking under the hood to see if she can see what's wrong, when she closes the hood again, she closes it on her phone and breaks it. So she's stranded and just has to walk home. As she's walking home, she's scared by a couple of things that she sees that just end up being, you know, decorations or or cats or something like that. Um, But. As she's headed down her street, she's kind of walking down the middle of the street, um, and behind her is the mist and the uh, uh, the street lights illuminating the mist. And she hears uh, some laughter behind her, and, and she's spooked. And she tells herself not to turn around. And we can see behind her a figure emerging out of the mist, and it gets closer and closer to her as she gets home. And the tension is building. And of course, you know, she drops her keys trying to get into the house. Um, She finally gets the door open, and um, at the very last minute before she steps in, she looks back, but she sees nobody there. So she starts to get ready. Her dog gives her another jump stare, but then she just sits down to watch some scary movies at the end of the night. And um, her dog, who is sitting next to her on the couch, gets spooked and runs into the other room, and she looks after him. And when she looks back and when she sits back in her chair, we see a ghostly woman Gross-looking figure sitting next to her on the couch, and it cuts to black. And there's a screen. Okay. I thought this one was okay for what it was. Again, it was uh, one of the shorter ones, and um, it, uh, it it did play out very much like your standard urban legend. Um, but I don't know. I just don't have a problem with that. You know, I, I it was it was spooky. It was fun. I, I'm not looking for. I don't know. I'm not looking for great depth in this type of movie. You know, they've got 10 minutes, approximately, each of them, um, to set up a story, you know, establish some characters, and give us some fun and some scares. Um, and I thought that they all did that. Some you know, with greater success than others, and I feel like this one was perhaps maybe not one of the most successful ones. Um, but but fine, nonetheless. I, I didn't really have a problem with it. What did you think?
1: I'm with you on the whole, I, I don't see it as a criticism that this, that this movie is based on urban legends and that most of them at least have that feel if not are outright like this one is outright an urban legend i've heard it a dozen times before in different forms and in fact uh, this kind of story exists across multiple cultures a lot of cultures have a ghost story where there's a ghost behind you or some spirit behind you but you can't look at it and if you do look at it something terrible is going to happen but again, I don't have a problem with it either. I mean, that is the spirit of these kind of stories. It's the spirit of this kind of movie, I think. And so, no, it doesn't bother me in the slightest that they're urban legend uh, They just need to, again, have their own little spin on them. And maybe you're right, it, this one is a little weaker in that it... it Plays it pretty straightforward and doesn't put too big of a spin on it. But I thought it was actually one of the freakiest ones because uh, the the appearance of the witch is just very skillfully done. And she, and she just flashes there for just a couple seconds before mm-hmm. Black comes in. And, and I, I don't know. It really creeped me out. Uh, the whole idea would creep anyone out too, and of course, the witch is Barbara Crampton, uh, which I, you know, I didn't recognize, of course, but I looked up later. And Barbara Crampton, we've talked about her before. She was in We Are Still Here, and goes all the way back to Chopping Mall. And it's like I've said ah. before, all roads seem to lead back to Chopping Mall for us. Yeah, so. it's
0: so funny. <laughs> I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, it's nuts. Again. It, like I said, if you go through, anyone who's interested could probably spend two hours going through the IMDb credits because there are a ton of them. Because there are a ton of characters yeah. in this movie, but every single one of them, it's like they they put out this APB that says we're gonna get this, we're gonna do this movie, and uh, anybody who's anybody who's ever been involved in a horror film uh, is welcome to come on board. And everyone just jumped in and said, "Yeah, let's do it." Uh, that in itself That's- is a pretty amazing, um, amazing. Uh, accomplishment i think and uh axel carolyn who you know or, or xl i don't know how you how you pronounce i it, don't know um who directed this one uh, seems to have put the whole movie together she wrote quite a few of them and uh is pretty much credited i think with uh with kind of being the brains behind this film and i'd never heard of her before um i knew and I got online, and I looked, and she has a few other credits to her name. But uh, she looks like my soulmate because uh, it looks like she was born exactly one year later than I was. So <laughs> I feel like we must have some connection there. Oh, she was also born in <laughs> in Belgium, which is where I was born. So there's something going on. Really? Yeah, something going on between me and this Axel Carolyn. I'm very happy. That's
0: mad. funny. <laughs> well, that leads us up to number six, which is the one that... I can't say necessarily that I didn't like it, but I don't. I just didn't know really what to think of this one. Mm. So I'll let you. (laughs) I'll let you lay it out there, and then we can talk about it. Oh wow! You know what? This was my
1: favorite of the bunch. No kidding. (laughs) Maybe this is the only one that breaks that rule of consistency. Now that Uh I think about it, because it's very, it's not straightforward at all. Uh, and it's a little strange uh I, and i'm I'm really not even going to talk too much about it. I'm just gonna say that uh Jack and Bobby's house first of all, you get subtitles. With Jack and Bobby's house last year at Halloween. This is the first movie that actually starts out with a flashback and bothers to tell us uh-huh. in subtitles um, that it was last Halloween, and it's basically this couple, this kind of mousy guy uh, and quiet, mousy quiet guy, and this woman who is just wailing out the window at the trick or treaters. Oh, look at all those children out there. <laughs> it's not fair.
0: I know, honey. Look. luck. Oh. Trick or treat. What are you doing, Jack? I don't know, I thought... Dressing our dog up like Rapunzel would make me forget that we don't have a child. Gretel. What?
1: She's supposed to be Gretel. You know? Like Hansel and Gretel? Yeah! lunges out at him at the end of this little bit and her nails are long and she's got these long arms and it just really takes you off guard and you think okay something is definitely not right with this woman or is this just a stylized representation of her maybe from his dream or his memory or something it it definitely starts to enter into kind of dreamy territory Flashback to the current day, and they are handing out candy to trick-or-treaters. And uh, there's an oven that, that kind of pops in as imagery. She's, oh, she's making cookies that are shaped like kids. It's all meant to evoke without actually saying and without flat-out copying a kind of Hansel and Gretel story. Maybe that's as far mm-hmm. as I'm going to go. And so you get the impression and the notion that this woman is a witch, and you get it in very bizarre ways. They're they're taking you to the inside of the oven. They're flashing over as she's making the cookies, and the cookies are shaped like children. So there's, of course, that idea of eating children there. And uh, y- you figure it out pretty quickly, but you figure it out on, on kind of a visceral level. It's not like a direct, flat-out story told to you, I think. And again um the more and more we see of this woman the more and more strange she is at one point it's clear she has a third arm that that comes out and slaps him at one i mean there's a little bit of comedy mixed in here with this just bizarre dreamlike kind of horror and the ending was very weird uh and i thought that just the feel of this story alone made it pretty terrifying I, I thought it was the the one that reached me at the deepest level just because and again I think it's one of these cases where it wasn't very straightforward clear cut you couldn't really follow it as a story that takes you from point A to point B um, it just left me with this impression of this woman that was a pretty terrifying version of a witch that, that could be in a neighborhood and could on one hand seem really really normal but then Turned very bizarre uh, very quickly.
0: Yeah, this one I I think that it stands out so much because it's it's so different. I mean, it, I, I don't think that it feels out of place in the movie. It still feels in place, but but you really get a sense of the director Lucky McKee's style. Now, Lucky McKee has directed uh several horror movies, and I think that he's really good at what he does but this guy seems like he's messed up. Like, like the, the movies, the movies that he makes are, are just really kind of, Oh man, they're kind of messed up. Like may, um, which I've been trying to get you to watch with me for a while. We'll have to do that pretty soon. Um, the woman, um, which is another, you know, dark, really, really dark movie. Um, and, and this, while there is, you know, there's a Hansel and Gretel element. Um, but, it just visually it's so bizarre like it's just it's kind of bizarre to watch but intriguing uh as well um i think that i was just kind of left not knowing what to think of that one and i I'm, i don't think that's a bad thing um it definitely stood out uh, uh from the others and and um maybe that's maybe that's a compliment i guess
1: yeah and again it, it's a little ambiguous because um the idea I think is that he's, he kind of the husband finally, I guess is going to try to put a stop to her, but I'm not sure he's successful. Uh, it really just leaves you hanging there. And maybe it also goes against the grain with the others in that it, it's, it, the, the, most of these kind of stories that, that are in the easy horror vein, the bad person gets what's coming to them. And in this case, it, it doesn't really necessarily happen. Um, which is right. fine, but yeah, it is a little. It, it's inconsistent in so many ways from the rest of of the story. And you know, one of the parents in this in this uh, in this bit was Angela from Sleepaway Camp.
0: Oh, really? I didn't. Gosh, yeah, I'm glad I... you clearly did more research than I did. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm mean, I'm only touching on a few of them. It's just nuts. I mean, Angela from Sleepaway Camp. I always kind of wonder
0: what happened to her. Eh, she's
1: been doing stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, that leads us to number seven, which is This Means War. And I actually really liked this one, but it's really easy to describe. All this is about is about a battle between neighbors for who can have the best Halloween display. You've got an older guy on one side who sets up a more traditional display. Great, excellent front yard display. Um, And then on the other side, you've got this younger Hispanic couple um, who seems to maybe be a little bit more rough, a little bit more edgy. Um, and, and they hire uh, professionals to come in and dress up their yard and their yard is, um, still conventional as far as Halloween, but it's more modern. Um, and the, on Halloween night, you know, they're, they're both trying to do their displays, but, um, the, the younger couple have loud music going and, and they get into a scuffle and that's all I want to say about it. I, I read how this one could really kind of be seen as that, um, conflict between different eras of horror. Whereas you've got like the old school, um, films with the classic monsters like Frankenstein and the Wolfman and all, and you know, like spooky graveyards and skeletons and that type of thing. And then you've got, on the other hand, the more modern elements of like dismembered bodies and gore and, and those types of effects. Um, and I'm the kind of horror fan who uh, enjoys both uh, of, of those types. Um, but you will find horror fans that, that fall uh, wholeheartedly on one side or the other. And I kind of liked that metaphor of the conflict between the two. Um, and it played out really simply and really quick. Um, and it was just, it, it was a fun one. I liked this one.
1: You know, as a metaphor, it's making a very clear statement because the uh, new... The new guys, if you will, are very chill and very cool and very accommodating, whereas it's the old guy who seems to be getting uh, in such a you know seems to be getting so upset and so aggressive at, right. at first so uh, yeah it, it, that's i mean the metaphor is clear it's pretty night and day, and uh, it's interesting that the side that they that they decided to take again i 'm like you, I like both of them this one uh, i thought was had so much potential um, for being uh, more than it ended up being uh, That's all I'll say about it I thought it could have gone in some really cool directions I thought the concept was really interesting I was a little let down uh, by the ending But it did have one of my Absolute favorite lines from the whole film Which is when the, the the punk guy or whatever Goes over to the old man's house
0: Do you know what would perk up this
1: candy-ass display? Some motherfucking blood <laughs> 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 and he's got a bucket he just tosses blood all over everything <laughs> i'm sorry that made me smile but anyway yeah no, you saw, it was good it you was like the ending
0: i and i think that where you think that there was a lot more potential i actually appreciated how simple they kept it um it was it was i don't know i feel like if if they had and i don't know i'm sure you've got ideas as to where they could have gone with it i think that um it was nice in its simplicity and and um i i actually kind of appreciated that they didn't try to draw it out into more um but uh enjoyable nonetheless um this next one oh god i'm so glad that you're talking about this one because i i so badly want to know what you thought of this one. Oh, this is the one you didn't like too much i'll bet is that right <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that.
1: Oh, okay, okay, all right. This one is so nuts. This is the craziest one. I mean, it just goes all over the place. Um, there's a girl being chased by a guy. Um, it's a d- very definite Texas chainsaw massacre thing. You get some flashbacks into previous victims, and 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 then when he finally corners her, Wolf Creek style, in a in a big uh, uh, kind of his. His shed, if you will, and it, and you know this is maybe one. I'm not sure. I guess it took it was supposed to take place in this town, uh, but it was kind of all over the map in that they're coming out of the woods. But there's a shed, and so it it must be a fairly secluded place. Uh, and uh, anyway, he corners her in there, and uh, she knocks off his mask, and he's he's got uh he's totally deformed. I mean, he's one of these. Like I said, it's very Texas Chainsaw masker He's a completely deformed. Kind of brute, if you will, probably inbred, and uh, chases her back outside and suddenly a big light shines down on him, and it's a UFO that is overhead, so now we're getting into sci-fi territory, which is totally appropriate for Halloween, and it beams down this tiny little creature, this cute little guy that go that looks up and he's he's holding. <laughs> you got to just see this alien. I'll probably put a picture on our website because he's so darn cute. <laughs> it's so he's, cute. He's like two inches tall, and he holds up this tiny little uh pumpkin trick or treat bucket, and goes
0: trick or treat. Oh uh, uh, no! Uh, trick or treat. I, not, I, didn't, I didn't don't know. Do trick or treat. Tweet tweet. I got you.
1: He kind of looks at him. So I guess the idea is that this little alien was beamed down to take advantage of the Halloween season and to experience it. But uh, the thing doesn't know what to make of it, and so he just stomps on it <laughs> and just smashes it into goo. And this goo then possesses the girl. And then again, it like it just borrows from so much. Now we've got what I thought was immediately Evil Dead. Um, this mm-hmm. girl looks like Ash from Evil Dead 2 when he gets possessed and then depossessed and then possessed mm-hmm. again um, with her glowing eyes and with the kind of a skeletal-looking face that, that comes through the flesh. And so she starts chasing after him, and what we get is this, this giant battle sequence between the two that is hilariously comical because uh, they end up just lopping limbs off of each other until they're both reduced to nothing. Uh, but, of course, the the little Martian can, uh, can leave the body again and go back up into the spaceship afterwards. What a goofball type deal. That was really just nothing more than an excuse to see two big, two creatures battle it out and just um, incredibly over the top gore. Um, It was, it was funny, you know, it was supposed to be funny. I didn't feel, all right. So it was original in the sense that I'd never seen anything quite like it, but, was it really an original idea i don't know it seemed like like something maybe a 13 year old would have come up with wouldn't it be cool if this and uh put it together with a big budget and made it happen uh I, it was goofball i uh, i thought as uh you know, with with these anthology story, uh, story movies, you do want a bit of variety. You want to bounce between something horrific and something a little comical. At least I do. I like to see that kind of variety. This was maybe the most goofball, straight out comedy of all of them. But again, keeps that horror vibe because uh, of the subject
0: matter. I absolutely loved this one <laughs> it was it was ding dong the one that was your favorite that was the one that i was skeptical about this one i absolutely loved and i it, it, we haven't even said it was called friday the 31st directed by mike <laughs> mendez and 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 you kept saying it's like texas chainsaw massacre no it's not it's exactly friday the 13th i mean the guy looks exactly like jason voorhees he's not wearing a, ha- a hockey mask yes. but it's a mask it's a wooden mask that looks just like a hockey mask you're right um, and the first part the first part is classic friday the 13th where he's just chasing down this big boob girl um and he finally gets her in the lair and in the lair there's um what clearly looks like mrs Voorhees' head on on one of the tables uh, um, and right. and other victims and stuff in there and then um when the the little alien thing i just thought was absolutely freaking ad- adorable and so funny in the context of this and then when the little alien possessed the the girl, it went totally um, evil dead. Uh, I mean, she looked she couldn't have looked more like a deadite. And so it was, let's have Jason fight a deadite, uh, and and they went at it. And if if you look closely, um, the Necronomicon is on one of the shelves in his uh, lair. Um, I just thought this one was freaking hilarious and i was laughing out loud the whole time the look on not jason's face when confronted with this little alien like he's just t- so confused um, <laughs> and then when the, the the when the possessed thing starts chasing him like he squeals like a little girl and runs away um and fi- and you have this total reversal where first it was him chasing the girl now it's the girl chasing him oh my god i just thought it was Uh, I I was just gut laughing uh, at this one. Absolutely loved it. Um, And I agree with you 100%. I want to see some variety. I want to see some more straightforward, hard-hitting horror ones. I want to see a little bit of comedy um, where it's appropriate. And I I just thought this – I I loved it. Absolutely loved it. You noticed a lot more details in this one than I did, definitely. Oh gosh! I I think it's just because I was enjoying it so much, and we've talked about this before. I enjoy that franchise more than you do, yes. Um, So maybe that's why uh, I had an affinity for this one. Well, you know, I Uh, I just
1: felt like at the beginning uh, he was was unclear to kind of see him. You're absolutely right, and I even thought that about halfway through. I was like, "Oh yeah, he's also like Jason." But you know, chasing him through the woods into kind of a lair. To me, the lair itself reminded me a lot because there were like bones everywhere, and it was it was very industrial looking it reminded me a lot of the house uh, in um, in uh, texas chainsaw massacre oh yeah,
0: uh, yeah you
1: know with with that it evoked a little bit of that imagery but you're absolutely right it's a total carbon now that i think about it now that you describe it um it's definitely
0: jason versus the deadites um but man, oh god it, all i just uh, the place. <laughs> and and what a funny concept that is so funny uh I, I don't know, all right you know, to moving along Craig, we're, we're getting what me,
1: it's too easy you know what I mean it's like too that's that's what I'm saying like alright you know what if we put Jason up against a deadite and, and then we'll make that one of the stories like uh, I, you know without the without the little Martian in there which totally throws it into crazy bizarre territory you know they could be sued for copyright infringement
0: <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Now I get what you're saying with it's too easy. I guess for me, it it works as fan service. Um, You know, I want to see that. That's and you're right. It's the 13 year old boy in me. You know, who loved those movies and would love to see that kind of crossover. And I don't think that it would work in any sort of reality if we were talking about a feature film. But in this short, where they can just kind of have fun with it. I don't know. I thought it worked. I get your criticism. I understand what you're saying. I just, I totally disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved it. I loved it. Um, the next one I liked too, it was, it was funny and, and cute. Um, it was called, uh, the ransom of rusty Rex. Um, directed by Ryan Schifrin. Um, and what happens here is these two guys who usually uh, are bank robbers have decided that they're going to kidnap this kid on Halloween night, um, which makes perfect sense if you're a kidnapper. Um, parents are sending their kids out by themselves, or at least some are. Um, and this guy, I guess, is the big rich guy in town. They're going to kidnap his son and demand a ransom. Um, so they do. The, the little kid is dressed up as a devil. I think. Or, no, he's not. He's some other kind of costume. He's, he's just got like some kind of paper mask on. Um, but they kidnap him. They take him to this little warehouse and they call his dad.
1: You listen to me very carefully, Mr. Rex. We have your son. If you ever want to see him alive again, you're going to do exactly as I say.
0: You have Rusty?
1: That's right. For five
0: million Benjamins,
1: you get your precious Rusty back. You've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> You're in no position to make threats, Mr. X. You poor bastard. You have no idea what you've done. No, I think I have... Hello. Uh, what the f***? Did he just hang up with
0: me? He calls him back, and he's like, uh, well, he's your problem now. And meanwhile, I think they either take them. The kid has been tied up on a, a chair. Um, but after one of these phone calls, they look over and he is busted out of the chair. And when they locate him, he's taken off his mask and he's this little demon, um, this like rat looking goblin or, or something. Um, and, and I'm pretty sure that this character is played by Ben Wolf. And I think that, um, he also played the night Billy raised hell. I think that he played the little demon Billy too. Um, Ben Wolf is this little person, um, who, uh, I think got his first, um, break in American horror story. In the first season of American horror story, he played the infantata, which is one of the scariest, uh, Uh, Parts of that season And then he was also in Freak Show Um, Sadly um, He was killed in an auto accident Um, He was hit by a car and killed Um, And it's too bad because he was really Kind of making a name for himself in the industry And and the movie is is, um, Dedicated to his memory at the end Um, But basically what happens is They call the dad and say uh, You have to take him back And the dad says, heck no He showed up at our house 10 years ago um, Trick or treating And he stayed with us ever since We couldn't get rid of him He's your problem now out. Um, so they take the kid and try to drop him off uh, at the front door. Um, I, I think they even... Well, and then that doesn't work. He shows back up. They tie him up in in chains and throw him into a swamp. Um, and then they they get the heck out of Dodge. And they stop at this gas station, and one of them goes in for food. And when he comes back out, the other guy is missing, and he looks in the back seat, and there's the little demon kid eating, uh, the other guy. Um, and, and that's just kind of where it ends. Uh, I just thought this one was such a clever, funny premise. A- and this one was unlike anything that I had seen before. Um, and, uh, just, you know, this little demon, he's definitely scary, but there was also almost something a little bit cute and funny about him too. Yeah. Um, and again, it was just one of those things like those comics that you talked about where the bad guys, end up somehow ironically getting what they have coming to them and and i thought i really liked this one
1: yeah it was pitch perfect in that it was like a ruthless people turned into a horror movie
0: <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh and a lot of the interesting name dropping too I, one of the first things I noticed when I fired up this movie and we were going through the credit sequence was that the main title was direct, was uh, composed by lalo Schifrin, and i and I love uh he's iconic uh you you know a lot of his stuff um probably most famous for the Mission Impossible theme song but he always does these great jazzy type intense type scores and he's just one of my favorite composers for film and then i saw that one of the one of the sit segments was was directed by a Ryan Schifrin, and i'm like well Schifrin is not a common last name so that can't be an accident and sure enough, it turns out Ryan Schifrin is his son. So this was directed by Lalo Schifrin's son. A little bit of, of trivia there for you. And then, of course, cool. the dad that they call is John Landis, who did American yeah. Werewolf in London, directed Michael Jackson's Thriller, went on to, you know, he's just a big blockbuster director. One of the bigger, I guess, names that they got in this, in this movie, I thought. It, neat to see mm-hmm. him uh, have a cameo as well. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I thought that it was a nice, solid little sequence. It was funny and uh, it, it, it was satisfying. Yeah, at the end.
0: The yeah, I, I I agree. And I and I thought that it was good. You know, we're we're leading up to the end now, um, which is good because we're getting long on time. <laughs> um, but again, this last one, there are so many different um, homages and things. You know, we've talked about. Um, Uh, Friday the 13th and Evil Dead and, and just all over the place there are these little homages and this last one was kind of a nice surprise for me because I felt like it was totally an homage to a movie that we just talked about right?
1: Yes, it's very much an homage to Halloween Three in many ways. It has the same pumpkin imagery, and it has it's it's a police procedural. I felt like I was watching an episode of Law and Order, or CSI, or Criminal Minds, or something too, because uh, it uh, it basically opens up with a murder, and it's this man who carves this pumpkin. And actually, I thought that I thought that the way this move this segment opened was really clever. It really hits home the violence and the brutality of carving a pumpkin if you were a pumpkin. (laughs) Right. It's just this. And the knife, knife, knifing sounds and the guts, you know, kind of squishy sounds all together. In fact, they probably got all of probably every movie gets their knifing sounds from somebody stabbing a pumpkin. It's it's got to be. I'm convinced. I'm convinced after watching (laughs) this, and it's just slow mo. You know these quick cuts of 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 this guy carving this pumpkin, and he's carved this evil face. And uh, he turns around, and his wife goes off to get something from the kitchen, and the pumpkin eats him. (laughs) The pumpkin bites his head off. It's great. I thought it was mm-hmm. fantastic. <laughs> we and I don't and immediately I'm thinking this is just hitting all the right notes. And why have I never seen anything quite like this before? <laughs> Except of course, Halloween three. Uh, the pumpkin didn't quite, you know, the pumpkin mask didn't quite bite people's heads off. But it, it certainly right, um, right evokes that imagery when you've got this man there uh, and this pumpkin uh, biting down on him. So anyway, the pumpkin, as she comes into the room, the pumpkin runs off. It, like, sprouts green legs, uh, green, you know, uh, vine, vine-type legs and, and scurries away. And so the cops are called in, and it's just this c- comedic, again, like this comedic procedural, I think, where the cops are running around town uh, chasing down this pumpkin and finally, uh, they corner it, and the cop blows, bl- ends up blowing it away. And, and there's all this typical cop talk in it too, which is real funny. Like, jeez, oh, mind you, the case of the man who stuck his head in a binder. Talk about making a meal of it. Has forensic mom seen this? He's all over it. And uh, when he picks up uh, a piece of the pumpkin, he notices where the pumpkin was made. And it's a super pumpkin, 100% organic, kind of like the Dole sticker that you'd find on a banana. And so they track uh, it down to a company. And, and it, of course, it's it's this company that's still got some scientists working in there late, late at night who can answer the door. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, they let him. He lets them in, and it's it's a professor or whatever. And the professor is played by Joe Dante, who is another yeah. big name actor. You know, from Gremlins, from director. Oh my gosh, right. yeah, director. Yes, from so many movies. And he leads them in, and essentially, it has this uh, this this shock ending for this one is that they look in, and this warehouse is absolutely filled. With all of these pumpkins, so we, we, you know, this won't be the end of the pumpkins terrorizing people, right? Thanks, thanks to the genetically modified stuff of this company. So yeah, it's got uh, it's got more of that corporate uh, corporate horror feel to it.
0: Well, and did you catch the name of the company?
1: Oh gosh, was that a reference? S- what was it? it was Clover Corp. No way.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, you're right.
0: Clover Corporation.
1: Oh man, I was. It was so late when I watched this film. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so yeah, so it wasn't Silver Shamrock exactly, but definitely a shout out to you know this uh, corporation that's developing these evil Halloween themed <laughs> things. Um, and and you know I we had just watched Halloween three last week, and that was the first time I had ever seen it. Had I seen this. Last week before we watched that, it would have totally gone over my head mm-hmm. but having just seen it um, I, I, I just thought it was so funny and clever. Cool. The other the only- thing that I liked about this one um, was that uh, this it's this female detective, detective McNally, who is doing the um, uh, investigation and at some point she goes in and she has to talk to her chief uh, and he plays it you know like any stereotypical gruff chief I mean check these reports out. We got hysterical blindness. We got neighbors attacking neighbors. Kids looting convenience
1: stores. There's even a fing report of a UFO.
0: And so it, it kind of ties all the stories together um, in a really clever way there at the end. And uh, I, I appreciated that. I appreciated that effort to remind us at the end that all of this is set in the same place. Um, but I really thought that they did a good job of, of doing that throughout. Like I said, different characters and actors who appear in one uh, segment, you'll find them in the background of other segments. And um, a lot of the little kids, the uh, trick-or-treating kids, um, recur in some several of the uh, segments and I liked that. I liked it about trick or treat. I liked it about this. Um, do I like this movie as well as trick or treat? No, I don't. But if, And the two, are, are, as far as I know, are not tied to one another directly in any way. Um, But they're so similar that it's hard not to draw connections. And had this been, it's not, but had this been the sequel to Trick or Treat we had been promised, I wouldn't have been disappointed. I would have thought, not as good as the original, but how often are they? Hardly ever. Um, And still a solid effort. And I found it to be really entertaining, a lot of fun, something that again, you know, I say this all the time, I guess maybe Halloween just lends itself to these types of parties, but sit down, you know, with some friends, have a couple beers, um, or, or don't even sit down, you know, mingle around, come back to the TV every once in a while and you get, you know, these short little stories that you can kind of, you know, they're like hors d'oeuvres. They're like little one bite things. Um, you don't have to devote a full hour and a half or a full two hours to them in order to appreciate and enjoy them. Um, and I thought it was great. You know, I, I, uh, rent, this online um, and I think that I'm going to have to actually purchase it because I think that this is going to be something that I'm going to want to revisit
1: yeah you know and I think it's also partially because we're so starved for these kind of movies like we we like them and we want them and we really want them around Halloween and I think that reason is because it's these, these anthology stories, uh, being multiple stories back-to-back, very evocative of the kind of thing that you do traditionally around Halloween, and that is sit around a campfire or sit around and just tell, uh, tell stories, tell spooky stories. And in that way, those stories end up being urban legend kind of things, which is why I do not criticize this movie at all for having an urban legend feel. To me, it just evokes more of that sitting by the campfire kind of vibe.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, I like you said, you know, and we talk about this all the time. How we are big fans, how we hope that this will become a trend, um, and, and I really think that it might. You know, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I'm knocking on wood. Um, supposedly, we're getting a return of Tales from the Crypt on network television, some, or cable television, sometime soon. Um, so maybe we're going to see more of this, and I, 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 I certainly hope so. All right, folks. Well, thanks for uh, tuning in today. Happy Halloween. It's kind of sad that we're ending this season once again. But we've got a whole other year of horror uh, in store. So if you liked this episode, we've got a whole backlog of them now on iTunes and Stitcher. Talk to us on Facebook. Let us know what you think. Give us some suggestions for movies uh, that you'd like for us to talk about. Or give us some feedback on what you think of the movies that we've seen. Um, We'd love to uh, have a conversation with you. But until we meet again, I'm Craig. And I'm Todd with two guys and a chainsaw.